Colossians chapter number 2, begin reading with verse number 12. Let's stand together, if you can, and able for the reverence of the reading of God's Word in prayer for the message. And as we look into the Scripture tonight, Jesus Christ is... A, uh, these are his words. They're in red tonight. If you have a red letter edition, the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. That thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, or Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. That white stone raises a lot of attention tonight. And we'll see where it goes here in just a little while. Let us do pray tonight. Father, again, we do love you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come to you in prayer for this Bible study tonight. And Lord, I pray in the lovely name of Jesus, you'd give us wisdom to rightly divide your word. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to teach your word tonight as we continue this study through the book of the Revelation. Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated tonight. First of all, by the way of introduction tonight, let me say this. Worldliness corrupts a church. Worldliness corrupts a church. And that's what's happening here at the church of Pergamos. The church and its members began to participate in worldly functions. Uh, the church and its members allowed worldly activities to take place inside the church and inside the homes uh, of its members. That's why it's so important today that when we live a life for Christ, that we have that testimony that people can look upon us and see Christ in our life. When they walk into our church, uh, uh, they shouldn't see a nightclub, but they ought to see a place where the King dwelleth a place where the Lord Jesus Christ abides in our hearts and also inside of our homes. We have to be very careful of what goes on inside of our homes. I've always been pretty strict on this point. Uh, I would not allow anything in my home that was ungodly. I'll never add, allow anything knowingly into my home that would break that Christian relationship and that relationship with Christ. This church in, uh, uh, in Pergamos, the church began to baptize and accept people as members who have not truly repented. And uh, they were still turning to the world instead of turning to Christ. This church and its members allowed false teachings and allowed false preachers to come in and try to spread their propaganda. I'm telling you, that it is a serious 
business tonight uh, when we call upon someone to sing. It is serious business tonight uh, to call on someone uh, to come and preach behind the sacred desk. And I say that because of this. We have to know their life. Uh, We have to know where they stand. We need to know what they believe. And I do that because uh, of, of warnings just like this that was given uh, uh, to this church uh, at Pergamos. We can't allow the world to come in. We can't allow the world to come in and have their way with things. Now listen, we want to be friendly. We want to be nice. Uh, and we want the sinner to come into the house of God. But we also need them to get under the inspiration of the truth and the true doctrine of God and not the false uh, and the false doctrine of Satan himself. It will come to a point to where the church looks so much like the world uh, and the world taking on a resemblance of the church that you can't tell them apart. We need to be a separated people, amen? And as we look tonight, Pergamos, uh, of course, again, was the corrupted worldly church. That word Pergamos actually means that it, a marriage. But this church wasn't married uh, uh, in that sense, but it was married to the world. It was allowing the world to come in and out to uh, to, to, to make pasture in those uh, uh, churches, if you will. And the church was becoming to be in a spiritual uh, turmoil. But number one tonight, if you have your outlines there, uh, we want to look at the recipient uh, of the letter. There we go. The recipient of the letter. The letter is addressed to the minister of the church. Now if a church becomes worldly, let me say this night with all confidence and say it boldly. When a church or if a church becomes worldly, the minister is responsible. Hello? The minister is responsible. Because he has uh, uh, that authority of seeing and knowing what may come in and do, uh, 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 as ministers or as singers or as uh, uh, teachers uh, of the gospel. Christ has called the minister to lead believers to a life of self-denial. and allegi- I try my best to lead you in a life of holiness to deny the possessions and pleasures of this world and live a pure and godly life. Uh, that's why we're so, uh, 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 so much uh, preaching all the time on the way that we live and present ourselves toward others. We want our church, we want our lives to be pure as they can be uh, and we want to try to live uh, holy lives before others uh, to where we can keep the pleasures of this world uh, away from us and serve the true and living King. He's called the minister to, to, to lead these believers. The minister's called to lead them to focus upon heaven and to live sacrificially in their lives. He's called the minister to teach believers Believers uh, uh, to reach out for the lost and to see the desperate needs uh, of the needy. And if the minister's not leading the people to live spiritual lives, uh, he's allowing them to follow after the pleasures and the possessions of this world. And it'll fall upon the minister's shoulders uh, of what has happened. And let me say it this way. I can preach on holiness tonight. I can try to lead people to have a great testimony I can try to tell people that you need to read the Word of God. You need to pray every day and stay away from sin. But I can't help it if you go out and do it anyway. 
I can't live your life for you. I can't get inside of your life and live that life for you. Sometimes I was asked earlier this week to pray for something and I said, you know, it's just hard to pray for stupidity sometimes. It's very difficult to pray for that because most people know better. Most people have been taught better. Amen. And, and, and it is the minister's responsibility to keep worldliness out of the church. I remember one time at this church in which we're very well sitting tonight. Uh, one gentleman came in. He could sing like a bird. He could play the piano like a Liberace, if you will. He came in. Uh, he had wanted to start trouble. And trouble on the fashion of that he's decided to peddle drugs inside the house of God. He tried to sell pills to those that whoever would buy them. He tried to do this, that, and the other, and a lot of other stuff surrounded him. I went to him and I tried to help him. I tried to counsel with him. I tried to turn him. I tried to show him the light and tell him, look, you can't do this here. But even past that stage, he started sending, uh, let me say, unruly text messages to some of the young females inside the sanctuary. And that just about broke the camel's back. I called him. I said, you meet me at the church. Me and the board wants to speak with you. And this was on a Saturday. I said, we want to talk to you. I've done warned you. I've done told you. We've done, Bring your truck and get your stuff. He showed up here and we came with him. And I said, look, bud, we can't have this going on here. I've done warned you. I've done told you on two or three different times. We've got to change paths. We've got to get in the right direction. But here you're trying to destroy the flock and we ain't going to let you do it. We're not going to allow you to do it. I said, get your piano, get everything that you've got, load it up on your truck, and hit the road. Now, some of you may think that that's cruel tonight, and it breaks my heart to have to tell anybody that. But listen, shepherding over the flock is my responsibility. After I've tried to restore, after I've tried to bring them to a place of repentance, after I've done give them to the Lord, and yet they still rebel and still try to deal drugs in the sanctuary. They're still sending obscene texts to young little girls. It had done broke the camel's back, and I had to take a stand, or whether anybody liked it or not. And when it was done, we came to the church with it, told the church exactly what we did, and our church was 100% in agreement. Listen, that's what pastoring's about. I hear the sheep's voice. Amen. I hear the sheep's voice uh, uh, when they're crying out. And that was really bad, especially when you had church members that was battling addiction. When you had church members battling different things and then you had someone here uh, trying to deal something to them that was not right. And I'm here to tell you folks, it was against God. It was against the church. It was against the authority of God's man. It was against everything. And I hate it with a passion I have to do that and I had to do that to protect the sheep and my friend we had to do that and there was no question about it tonight if we'd have let it go on I would have been held responsible if you know these things you have to take care of them I believe loving people I believe giving people a second chance I believe in leading them to restoration I believe leading them to a point of repentance if the Lord's there, my friend, to touch their heart to where they could repent, then that's what needed to be done. 
But after attempt, after attempt, after attempt, it still got worse and worse and worse. May I say there's no place for that in a church today. Amen. It is up to the pastor to do this. Pergamos was a beautiful city with an air of royalty about it. It sat on top of a huge mountain rising so steeply and majestically out of a beautiful valley. The city's citizens could not see the... They could actually see the Mediterranean Sea for 15 miles out. Pergamos was one of the cultural and religious centers of the world. It had been a capital city for some 400 years and it was the imperial administrative center of Asia. And as such, it was the first city in Asia to openly support imperial worship. And when I say imperial worship, I mean they were to worship the state and the state's ruler and its leader. But number two tonight, we, we see the speaker. The speaker is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. A church that is corrupted by worldliness, uh, committing the very serious crime against Christ tonight. It's such a critical matter that Christ Himself delivers the message to the church. And note how Christ describes Himself. He is one who has the sharp two-edged sword in His mouth. And this means at least two things to us tonight. The sword of His mouth means His Word. The Word of God. The one thing needed in a worldly church is the Word of God. The Word of God is sharp and it will cut through uh, the most worldly and hardened heart tonight. It will convict and convince the, the worldly of their sin and cut a sharp gash uh, uh, separating the sinner from his sin. The Word of God is a two-edged sword according to the Word of God. It proclaims the law of God and the utter necessity of living a righteous life or else facing the judgment and destruction of God. Number two, the sword of his mouth means the power and judgment of his word. As shall be seen in the next note here in just a moment, the believers in Pergamos were being persecuted and some were even being martyred for their faith. Some government officials were misusing the power of the sword or execution. They were slaying innocent people, in particular believers who refused uh, to deny Christ. Jesus Christ is proclaiming the power of His sword, the power of His word, and it is far greater. He holds the power of life and death over all men. He can speak the word and snatch the life away from any individual tonight. Therefore, all men must heed the message. Those who do evil are hereby warned. And this other the point is this. It's a great promise to the believers. If the word of Christ is all powerful, then Christ can look after us and take care of us no matter what confronts us in this life. Amen. Hey listen, I know there's times when we're going to have heartaches. I know that there's times when we're going to live in disappointment. There'll be times when we live in embarrassment. But my friend, I'm here to tell you tonight the Lord Jesus Christ is still on the throne and He'll see us through it all no matter what comes your way. For you remember tonight, for every valley there's two mountaintops. Amen. His power, the sword of His Word is able to strengthen. It's able to deliver. It's able to save. And it's for our time to leave this world and grab a hold of His Word which is able 
to transfer us right into God's presence and to live a life forever and ever for Him. Folks, I don't want to turn back and go to this world. I don't want to go back to what I used to be. I've tasted the sweet nectar of salvation and I like it. I don't want to go back to the bitter waters of the world. Why would anybody, after God had done delivered them, want to go back to the waters of the world? Not this preacher tonight. I'd rather go with Jesus. Amen. Number three, there is a commendation here. Or in other words, they're being patted on the back just a little bit here in verse number 13 for three different things. Number one, the church was loyal to Christ despite the environment that they were in. The church had been established in a cesspool of worldliness, a city of people who were consumed with the pleasures, possessions, and comforts of this world. Christ refers to the city as the seat of Satan. However, the believers were refusing to deny Christ. Once a year, they could have easily made their public confession that Caesar is Lord, but they refused. They knew better. They knew that Christ and Christ alone was Lord. They could have gone quietly about their affairs and never mentioned Christ except when they met for worship. But they refused to do so. They wanted their loved ones, they wanted their neighbors, they wanted their friends to know salvation and the hope of eternal life that was available in Christ. They had a testimony of Christ, but they refused to deny Christ. And God is commending them on that because they held strong and loyal to the name of Christ. They were doing that right. Number two, the second thing they were doing right is the church was pure and established in its doctrine. They had not denied the faith of Christ. They believed Christ and the Word of God. They studied it and they taught it. They had neither denied Christ nor His Word. The Word of God was being preached and taught every week from the pulpit and classes of the church. Sounds like a pretty good church. But, we'll get to the but in a minute. Number three, what else are they commended on? The church was standing fast in persecution. At least one believer had been martyred, that believer the name of Antipas. Nothing is known about this believer other than what is recorded here, but tradition says and history books says that he was placed inside a brazen bull and slowly roasted to death because of what he believed. Standing fast. In the midst of persecution. That word martyr there in verse number 13 is the regular Greek word for witness. A.T. Robertson says that Antipas was a witness just as Jesus said we should be. Christ gave this dear man his own title. My faithful one. He was faithful unto death. Now this is a sharp rebuke to us today. Just think the word witness and martyr mean the same thing. The early believers knew exactly what it meant to become a follower of Christ. And it meant the commitment of all that they were and had. It meant the possibility of death. In other words, we're going to be a witness under Christ no matter what. 
We're going to be a witness to Christ no matter what comes our way or no matter how we feel, no matter how deep, dark, and depression we may fall. We need to stand tall and let others know that Jesus Christ still reigns and that He's still on His throne. And folks, even if it boils down to a place that we have to suffer martyrdom for the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the type of witness that the Lord Jesus is looking for. But verse 14 and 15 brings us to point number four and to the problem with the church at Pergamos. There, here's the complaint. False doctrine and worldliness was steeping in and slipping in. The church was guilty of false doctrine and gross worldliness. The worldly church was guilty of the doctrine there, the Bible says, of Balaam. What does it mean? It means corruption and worldliness are within the church itself. It means a mixture of religion and worldliness. In other words, they had some that were preaching the truth and then all of a sudden some came in like a wolf in sheep's clothing and teaching false doctrine. And they were accepting it and they were letting it go and they were letting the world to come in. I can imagine today, I don't know about you, I'd rather come to a place that looks like a church instead of a place that looks like a nightclub. Listen, I don't want the place to look like a nightclub just to uh, try to draw more people. Listen, people are important. We need people in the pews. If there's a person in the pew, that means that's a soul that needs saving. But we don't have to turn to the world to get the job done for salvation. Jesus Christ doesn't need any help saving anybody tonight. Amen. He doesn't need any help saving anybody. Matter of fact, if I was a worldly Christian tonight, or if I was a worldly sinner, let me say if I was a worldly lost sinner, that's where I'd rather go to church. Somewhere that reminds me of the hell holes and honky tonks of this world because I'd fit in real comfortably and it'd feel just right. I don't think I want to go to that church. Church. Anybody can call themselves a church. But there's only one blood-bought church tonight. Amen. They're mixing religion and worldliness and it's making God angry. Apparently they had, uh, what had happened in the Pergamos church was this. The church had began to baptize some people that had never repented or forsaken the ways of the world. That's a problem. Baptism follows repentance. Baptism follows salvation. Does baptism save you? No, it does not. But your belief and repentance in Jesus Christ our Lord does. Baptism is following the Lord Jesus Christ. As an example, letting people know that we have laid down the old man and that God has resurrected anew. Well, how can you say that, preacher? Well, they didn't tell that thief on the cross that he better get baptized before, the, before he died. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The church had allowed some of the world to teach in the church. They had allowed a mixture of membership of believers and unbelievers. Some were living separated lives of holiness and sacrificial commitment for the cause of Christ. Others were living worldly lives, seeking the pleasures and possessions of this world. Folks, if you want to have a church that's headed in the wrong direction tonight, let half the memberships live godly, the other half try to live worldly, and you got a big mess. We got to be a hundred percent on the same team. We can't live with one leg inside the church and one leg outside the church. 
We can't live with one leg on the side of sin and the other one on the side of Jesus. We have to be sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of this happening in Pergamos was tragic. There were those within the church committing fornication, all kinds of sexual sins, and there were those participating in drunken parties of the world, even to the point of participating in the feast of idolatrous worshipers. This is what was happening in Pergamos. But as we look at point number five tonight, we have the counsel that the Lord Jesus is giving. Number five. Somebody wake Josh up. (laughs) Five. The counsel. What's the counsel? Repentance. The church and its believers needed to repent and to change their way. What does it mean? Well, the church and the true believers needed to deal with those who were worldly and lead them to repentance. The actual story, the true story that I gave you earlier is what we attempted to do as a church. We tried to deal with the individual, tried to deal with the worldliness in their life and lead them to repentance, but we failed. We needed to change, or the church there in Pergamos needed to change its practice of accepting people into the church just because they professed Christ and there needed to be evidence of repentance. Now what I mean is this. I preached a message many years ago. Professions without possessions. You can profess Christ, but if you don't possess Christ, you don't have anything. Anybody can say that they're a Christian. But do they really have the Lord Jesus Christ in their heart? This church needed to discipline those who refused to repent and chose to continue on in their worldly living. This church needed to stop conveying a sense of false hope and false security to unbelievers by baptizing them when they made profession without true repentance. They needed to stop allowing the worldly to seduce and deceive and mislead other believers in the church. Folks, listen, when a, when a, when a When the man of God stands before you tonight, I've told many of my preacher friends this, and I've preached in plenty of places. And listen, I've always told them, if I can't help you, I'm sure not there to hurt you. I want to help you. I want to help you. Amen? They needed to repent. They needed to repent. But as we go to number six tonight, Josh, if you would, we want to go to the warning. There is the warning. What is the warning tonight? Christ warns the church that becomes worldly. He will come quickly and make war against the worldly. The Lord is not going to punish the faithful believers who are spiritually minded. He's going to punish those who refuse to repent of their worldliness. I believe that. The anger of Christ is always against that which is impure. Christ will never punish the spiritual members there at the church of Pergamos is what he's saying, but those that are worldly will be punished. With the sword of his mouth, that is. With the power of his word. His word is strong enough to judge all the worldly, no matter who they are or how many there may be. Judgment's coming. Folks, as I look around us and see the fires in California, the storms in the Gulf, the storms on the East Coast, the storms coming up through the Caribbean. As I see many of things happen in the world around me, it doesn't take a theological student tonight to tell you that Jesus is coming soon. 
when he speaks of wars and rumors of wars and storms, and when he talks of affliction, when he talks of pestilences on every hand, I believe we are living in the last days. But this church here at Pergamos is responsible for allowing worldly people to be baptized. The command of Christ is to repent and believe the gospel. True belief always involves true repentance. What is repentance? It's a turning away from the world to Christ. A total denial of self. A total commitment of all uh, the one is and has to Christ and His cause of world missions. We're to turn away from this world and turn to Christ and all that He is tonight. This is what the warning is. This is the instruction that was given by the Lord Jesus Christ to the church at Pergamos. And number seven tonight, the promise to the overcomers. The promise is twofold. First of all, the scripture says the overcomers there at Pergamos is given the right to eat the manna or bread of heaven. This is reference to the manna that was used to feed the children of Israel during their wilderness wanderings. God actually caused the manna or bread to be rained down from heaven upon them over in Exodus chapter number 16. The point to note is that the manna was given by God to feed them and keep them alive during their wanderings through the wilderness. Now, what does the hidden manna mean? What is the bread of heaven? Well, it actually means Christ Himself here in its context. The overcomer is given the right to feed upon Christ and to feed, uh, and he, he feeds us and will partake of that which He provides. This is exactly what Christ Himself has said the bread or manna of God is not physical and material bread it's spiritual bread God actually promised to provide for the physical necessities of his followers but physical and material bread is not what Christ was talking about in this particular passage physical and material bread lasts only for a short while once consumed in your body, it is gone. Its satisfaction passes uh, and man's uh, hunger arises again. But the bread of God tonight gives you spiritual bread. That is spiritual food for the soul. And it's the bread that man really needs. This is the bread that man really needs more than anything else on this earth that can permanently feed us and meet our needs spiritually tonight. Uh, listen, I'm here to tell you... It'll solve the hunger deep down in your soul. It'll solve that emptiness, that vacuum, that uh, uh, restlessness, loneliness that's deep down inside of you. You may feel like you're alone tonight, but may I say if you've got Jesus Christ living in your heart as a Christian, you're never alone when Jesus is there. Amen. He's inside your heart. The heavenly bread Christ Himself gives life to man. The very purpose of bread is to give life. Bread gives life by nourishing and sustaining and satisfying and energizing and creating a desire or the need for more of God. Being eaten on a regular basis as you continue to feed the Spirit by the Word of God. Jesus Christ Himself gives life to the overcomer by doing the very same thing. 
He'll nourish us and sustain us and energize us and satisfy us and create that desire for more. Why are you here on a Wednesday night studying through the book of Revelation? It's because you're beginning to desire more of the Word of God. You're wanting to know what the Word of God has in store for our lives that lie out in the future. The point's clearly seen here tonight. The person who overcomes worldliness. This is for a worldly church. But if we overcome worldliness, who stops when we stop feeding upon the world, that person will be given food from heaven itself and he'll be allowed to eat the eternal bread of heaven and he will never die. I'm glad I don't have to die. Amen. Listen, I, I know there's going to be a day they lay this body in a coffin and put it six feet under. But my friend, my spirit's going to live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ as far as I'm concerned. I'm never going to die. I'm going to keep on living. Amen. Matter of fact, when this world's over for me, I'll just start my living. <laughs> I just started living. No man, note that the man is hidden. It simply means that Christ is hid to the world. And Christ is hid to the worldly people of the earth. Uh, the worldly do not see the need of feeding upon the bread of heaven is what I'm saying tonight. Christ is hid from them. Uh, they don't see the desires uh, to feed upon the Word of God as you and I, as the saved Christian does tonight. And lastly tonight, the overcomer is given a white stone with a name written on it. Now many people may have not have thought about this, but uh, I've done some studying on it and tried my best to find answers for you. Uh, there are an endless number of guesses tonight about what this stone is. Uh, only one thing is clear in this reference to it, and it's the best that I can do tonight to explain it to you, is just to stick to the Scriptures. Uh, the white stone is the means of being admitted into heaven, I would guess we could say tonight. Uh, I say, now listen, we know we have to be saved. We know we have to be blood-bought. We know that we have to be forgiven and our name's written in the Lamb's book of life if we're going to get into heaven. But apparently there's going to be given a stone. You're going to be given a stone. Now, that, now this is hardly ever preached on. I don't even know if I've ever heard a message preached on this particular stone. But the white stone uh, is something that will be needed as we are admitted into heaven, into God's presence. The overcomer is allowed into God's presence because of this white stone, but no, because of the Christ that they've accepted, they've received this stone, of course. And this must mean either the name of Jesus Christ is on this stone, or maybe the name of the believer himself. I don't know. The Bible says we don't know what's written on this stone. But it's, a, it's, it's something that's, that's there. Now, if the name on that stone is that of Christ, then the meaning is this. The name of Jesus Christ is the only name accepted for entrance into heaven. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You can't enter into heaven on my name tonight. You can't enter into heaven on your name. You can't even enter into heaven on Donald Trump's name. But you can enter into heaven on the name of Jesus. You see where that correlates now? A person must have that white stone with Christ's name written in it in order to be admitted into God's presence. That's one thought. Another thought is, what if it's the name of the believer? Then the believer is given the white stone as his ticket. It's his ticket. It's got his name on it. 
The stone must have his name on it in order to be admitted. So one of the two, we don't know what's on the stone. We're not told what's on the stone. So I could spend my wheels for 30 minutes giving you all kinds of different scenarios of what might be on the stone. All I can tell you is this. Apparently we're going to have a stone. I don't know exactly what's going to be on the stone because it's not told to us. But I have the inkling that it's either going to be the name of Christ or the name of the believer. Pretty simple if you look at it at that point. The church member who has an ear must hear the message and take the message. He can never overcome the attacks of worldliness unless he heeds the message. Hearing and heeding is only his hope of ever conquering the seductive worldliness of this earth. As we close out the message tonight, I will try my best to to go back and do something a little deeper on the white stone. I will attempt to try to find more information, maybe from other biblical scholars, other than the ones that I've been referencing to you. But as I read some of them, they were so far-fetched that I didn't really agree with what they were saying. These two that I gave you tonight was a very strong possibility, I do believe. Okay? But next week, we will pick up in verse number 18. But as we conclude the service tonight, I'll ask Sister Pam to come around to the piano and we will have a song of invitation played. And if you would stand, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Is this helping anybody tonight? Amen. I'm glad that you're enjoying the study. And as I told someone last week, it might have been Miss McKinney, as the farther that we get in here, the deeper it gets, the more interesting it gets. And I'm sure the more questions I'm going to get. But thank God for His Word. And like I said, keep this in mind. Don't make it more difficult than what it is. Rightly divide the Word of Truth. And I do believe tonight we'll have a better understanding of the book of Revelation. Father, we do love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for those already praying tonight. Help us, dear God, not to be a worldly church like this church in Pergamos. But Lord, help us to be a godly church, a church that you'd be proud of and a church that you will, that you've died for. And Lord, I'll thank you in Jesus' name tonight. Amen. And amen. As they're praying, if you've got a need, you come. He still provides needs tonight. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those things that He has once did, He can do them again.
times when we study books in the Bible, if we would just open up our heart and mind and soul, thus saith the Word of God, He'll, He'll show you some things. He'll teach you some things. I'm glad that He does. Do remember all seven of these churches represent a particular church, a particular church that is in a particular situation, referring to the days in which we live. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We pray that you'll be here Sunday morning, 10 o'clock Sunday school, 11 o'clock worship. Be safe going home, okay? Brother Charles, will you dismiss us in a word of prayer tonight?